0: The IMG Roadmap is the only podcast dedicated to coaching international medical graduates and success blueprints for this unique pathway. I am Dr. Nina Loom, your host, a previous IMG turned hospital medicine physician, healthcare administrator, speaker, and coach. I empower, encourage, and equip you with actionable steps that you can take towards the residency position of your dreams. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the IMG Roadmap podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Mushmum Khan. She's a family medicine resident and we have some similarities in where we went to school, but I wanted to go ahead and introduce herself. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Khan. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, thank you so much for having me. As you said, I'm Mushmum
1: Khan. I'm a family medicine resident currently in my third year in New York, I'm very excited to be on here and just talk to you a little bit about my journey. We're both international grads and I love following along and seeing your posts and, you know, being inspired by you as well.
0: Well, no, thanks. So I'm so actually inspired so by your vibes on the internet. I actually really enjoy <laughs> the aesthetic of your profile and you always take these cool trips and it's just so dreamy to watch. Yeah, can you that's come? how I kind of get away. Yeah. Medicine, <laughs> so is that, is that what you do to sort of, break away from the mold is travel yeah exactly i think that's the
1: one thing that helps me like kind of de-stress and break away from the day-to-day mundane tasks that i have to deal with
0: yeah i understand that so you know on the podcast we just like to dig deep into other people's stories so that we can learn Mm -hmm. from them can you tell us maybe where you went to medical school sure so my journey in
1: medical school is very interesting so i'm actually pakistani but i grew up in California until about seventh grade. And then we moved to Dubai, which is in UAE. And at that time in the UAE, there weren't a lot of medical schools, maybe two in total. And Caribbean medical schools were just up and coming. And there was one medical school that was based on the Caribbean model that was in Seychelles. So I thought that was a great opportunity where I could kind of do that model of Caribbean med school and still come to the United States for my rotations and still try and pursue a residency in the states whereas like the medical schools in Dubai wouldn't have really given me that opportunity because there you would have to do your internship or residency in the UAE if you did that so I started there I did two years there according to that model of preclinicals, which was great I learned a lot it was tough of course you know with Caribbean medical schools it's like a lot crammed into semester and like Every semester, some people would kind of fall through the cracks and fail, and then you would move forward. But thank God, like that didn't happen. I had great seniors above me that, like, kind of inspired me and taught me how to really study and focus and, like, get through every single one of my courses. And then when it came time for rotations, that promise of those rotations in the United States kind of fell through and our school said that they couldn't offer that anymore and I was just like um, what <laughs> like wait this is why I joined the school I really wanted to come to the U.S. and they're like no at this time like you can go to the UK you can go anywhere else but like the U.S. right now isn't an option and I was just you know, thinking to myself, like, that that's not an option for me, you know, like, that's my entire goal, like, you're kind of changing my entire plan. So then I looked into my other options. And um, I found another school in the Caribbean, basically, in St. Kitts, And I found out their requisites and saw if I met them and I actually did. And I think I had to take an entrance exam for that. And I transferred my credits and transferred to that medical school, which was a smaller medical school in St. Kitts. So it wasn't one of the big four or five at the time. But that allowed me to actually come to the United States to do my rotations here. So in that time when I was trying to figure all this out, I did some of my rotations, like maybe one or two in Pakistan, and then I did one or two in Seychelles. And then once uh, I did the transfer, I did all my rotations here in New York and Connecticut, and I couldn't have been happier. You know, it was exactly what I wanted in terms of training. I got the clinical experience I needed, it was evidence based medicine, and the world was like, it was exactly how I had envisioned it um, the world of medicine. So that's basically how it all happened.
0: That is so amazing. I have a very similar story to yours where I transferred after the second year of my medical school just because Mm -hmm. I wasn't satisfied with the options that existed for me.
1: Oh my God. That's crazy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's super crazy when you said that. I was like, oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one who had that story. (laughs) And which is one of the reasons why I'm really passionate about. You know, sharing all these tips, ideas, and just giving as many options of hope to IMGs because a lot of times those stories are not going to fit the mold. But it just depends on how resilient and how how much hardworking how hardworking you are to you know see what your plans are come true. Like you really have to just kind of be persistent. And it's it's pretty interesting that you said that. Of course, both of my schools were in the Caribbean. It sounds like you were in Seychelles and then moved to the Caribbean, but still under the mm-hmm. same curriculum, what are your, what are some, you know, looking back at that and I know you're family medicine as well and I'm family yeah. medicine, right. just because I need to throw it out there. So that the, the listeners know who we're talking to, yeah. but what are some take home points from that journey? Did you find it more difficult to match because you had that transfer? Did you find, did you meet any obstacles because of that? So I think it wasn't
1: the transfer per se that caused the problem. Looking back, I didn't know that which Caribbean medical school you went to mattered that much. You know, like I didn't know that the top three or four now that are known that at that time that, you know, they were also very well known. And that now when programs see them, they're like, oh, they're from that Caribbean medical school. Oh, they're great. I thought at that time, all Caribbean medical schools were the same because I wasn't from here, right? Because I was from a different country. So I didn't know the perspective people in the United States had about the Caribbean medical schools. So now that I know that if I were to give anyone advice now looking to go to the Caribbean medical schools, and now that I have friends that have gone to those big four medical schools and have had no difficulties at all, no matter what step scores they had just because they went to the big four Caribbean schools, they're basically treated like they're American grads. But the difference is they're also US citizens, so that makes a difference. So I think that's very important is like the reputation of the school you go to in the Caribbean matters a lot.
0: I agree. It, like the more you share about your story on here, there's like more and more similarities that pop up. Yeah. It is so true. And you know, a lot of students reach out to me and they ask me, you know, should I go to school in the Caribbean? And the first thing I always tell them is just don't go to any school in the Caribbean Yeah, because you know, Mm -hmm. what, what a lot of people don't understand is foundationally there have been schools that have existed for decades. And so those schools have, they've created for themselves a track record of success. They've placed resident programs for literally decades. And so when you come in and you find the newer schools that are maybe more business oriented compared to academically focused, then you're yeah. more likely to fall into the pit of not getting solid rotations, which can result in lower step scores or exactly. not be well prepared for the boards. And that's what results in you not matching. Exactly. So it's really important. And, that, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No. And you don't
1: know that. Like as an outsider, when I was transferring even, or before I started med school, I didn't know that. Like I didn't know those were the things to look for. So now at least you and I can tell others that, these are the things you need to look for. Like, where are these people graduates going? Like, where are they matching? What kind of rotations are these schools offering? Because at that time, I didn't know that I'm supposed to look for these things. Like, the only thing I looked for was, oh, are they offering rotations in the United States? You know, are, am I going to get U.S. clinical experience? Because that's all I thought that mattered. But no, because my U.S. clinical experience was in hospitals that didn't have residency programs. So, although I had tons of U.S. clinical experience. When I finished my medical school, all my U.S. clinical experience didn't matter because I had no leads. I had no one to vouch for me saying I was a great medical student and I was going to be a great resident because no one was affiliated with the residency program, you know, whereas all these other medical schools that have been around in the Caribbean for longer, they have their students placed at uh, at hospitals that have residency programs where they showcase and sub-I words that I didn't even know what they were until maybe I was an intern.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. You're very right. I I had the very same experience. There were so many things I did not know about until I got into residency even about yeah. the whole process. And I never really talked about this as a resident either because I still was trying to understand it. Sorry. And You know, it took me three years and probably being chief to really retrospectively analyze what happened in my life and then make sense of it. And and I think it's important for those listening that are still coming up is one, if you, if you haven't heard anything, if you're just joining the podcast a little bit late, one, Dr. Khan is sharing with us, it's important to research the school that you're choosing to go to. It's important to do your sure. homework as far as look for success records from that school. It's important to select clinical rotations at sites that offer either a residency program or some kind of academic affiliation so that you have one an educationally potent rotation or you get the opportunity to act as an intern while you rotate there, which is a great way to showcase yourself when exactly. you're in the whole process. So, I mean, she's dropping mm-hmm. some gems tonight. And it's, it's pretty crazy how similar our journeys are. I didn't know about sub. Yeah. I was an intern, and then I had a sub eye, and I was like, "Oh, that's what that is." <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Yeah, I didn't know what that was until I saw sub eyes in fourth years coming to my program when I was an intern. and I was like, "Oh, wait, what? This is a thing." And like, I would be applying, and to be honest, I applied twice after med school, and I had like honors in every rotation. I had honors in my pre-clinicals. I had great grades all throughout med school. So to me, I couldn't understand, like, why isn't anyone really looking at me? Like, why doesn't anyone see that I'm a great applicant? I have U.S. clinical experience, but I didn't know who I was being compared to, you know? So you don't, when you're not exposed to it, you don't know what the playing field is, really.
0: Right, right. And, and in this residency game, it's important to understand the competition, right? Exactly. Yeah, because your your application could be good all by itself. IMG's listening yeah. listen to this. Your application could be great all by itself. And just by virtue of the fact that you're a doctor, chances are you have a good application. But you have yeah. people that have way better applications. And so exactly. what you need to be looking at is to compare with them on a, on a playing field. So that could be, you know, one, with board scores. Two, mm-hmm. it could be with clinical experience. So Like I said, previously rotating at places that actually matter. And then three, you know, the letters that you get, those grades that you get during clinicals also go a long Mm -hmm. way. And then your personal networking. I mean, your character during rotations, because those are the things that people remember. People always remember how you made them feel. Right. So you want to always, yeah. So you want to build up your portfolio. So it's just not a good portfolio, but that it's equally competitive to those around you. Yeah. And also how dedicated you actually are
1: to medicine because as international grads it might take more time for you to match compared to an American grad who might who will always match the same year. Why when they're in their fourth year, like it took me more than two years to match. But in that time, what are you doing with that time? Like, are you still driven and are you still persisting? Are you still adding to your resume? to still go forward with something medicine related like i think that's something they look at like i know, i kept looking for research and i filled my gap in with research and i was lucky enough to find a great research position where i started off as just a volunteer but then i went on to become a research assistant there and like that experience changed me as even a physician because the participants i met and enrolled in that study i think helped shape me into the physician i am and helped me gain more empathy because i saw a side to medicine that i wouldn't have seen if i was only a resident or intern and hadn't had that experience um you know dealing with that side enrolling patients into research studies and then i think with my application they saw that i was dedicated to medicine and that i wanted to make a difference and you know i was making use of my time
0: yeah I, I think that's, that's really great that you touched on that. Cause I was going to ask you specifically, you know, what did you do after you didn't match the first time and how did that help you the second time around? And, and I like that you touched on the topic of research. I know we can't go into the specifics, but can you give us some insight as to how you were able to apply or find a research program as an IMG? Because that's a pretty common question that I get from yeah. Other IMGs. Yeah. So it's going to be completely honest. It is One of the hardest things to do, but it is
1: also an area or field where there's a lot, a lot of need. There are not enough people in these labs or research centers. They just don't have enough help. That's what I realized. They need, but they need the right people. They need people that are driven. They need people that are dedicated, not someone who's just going to come in for their advantage for a few months and then go. So you have to be able to give and continue working with them. Like you have to contribute towards towards that research and then gain that experience, which will also help you in turn get into residency. So first of all, in trying to find it, I started off by I was in New York already. I started off by finding hospitals and research centers in my area and I just started looking online at who was doing research I started emailing people I would send hundreds of emails like I still have it in my email box and sometimes I look at it and I'm just like wow I would send hundreds and hundreds of emails and sometimes people would reply sometimes I would have phone calls with people and sometimes it wouldn't come to fruition and that was okay because I was still trying and then apart from emails, I would call places where I knew they might have an opening and I'd just be like, hey, I know you're looking for someone. I'm open to volunteering. Like, I'm okay with an unpaid position initially, which is hard, of course, for me. But I knew that I would be dedicated and I would work hard and prove myself and make that position pay off where they would be able to pay me. And um, that's exactly what I did. I started off as a volunteer. I worked hard and they saw that, okay, she's working hard enough where like we can pay her and they actually did start paying me and I was full-time there after that after being a volunteer so but I didn't give up and I remember like one day I was driving and I was calling a few places and my cousin was in my car and he was like oh why are you calling like just give up like it's not gonna work like these calls are useless like it's not gonna work and that was the day someone answered and that was the call that actually got me that research position and I'll never forget that. So it's just about persevering and not giving up.
0: Wow. Wow. It's all about persevering and not giving up. And this journey can be very tempting. It will try exactly. you. Exactly. It will try you for sure. But you have to be persistent and don't give yeah, up. No don't much. take no yeah. for an answer. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not saying like, I was like, oh, so happy and like persistent
1: and like, oh, yes, I can do this. And I'm so strong. No, I had days where I was upset. I had days where I cried. I had days where I felt like I couldn't do it anymore. And I wanted to give up. But then when you get knocked down, you just get up and start over again. And you just take it a step at a time and, you know, take a deep breath in and just have support of your family and your friends and just keep moving. And one day things work out. But as long as you don't give up, that's key.
0: So, you know, a lot of IMGs also always ask me this question. I'm going to ask you to get your perspective. What are some things that you think influence why IMGs don't, not all IMGs, but those who don't match that first go around? You know, because I think we have hindsight or the gift of hindsight. So we can see things a little bit clearer now. You know, what are some key points that you want people to, to know about Starting off at a foreign medical school, if you really want to get in that first go round, what are some things that you need to be doing?
1: So I think the most important thing is your USMLE score. So we don't realize this, but US graduates, their USMLE scores are very high and it's easier for them. I'm going to say that because their whole system or their entire program is based on the US family, right? Whereas if you're an international grad, say coming from the UK or India or wherever else in any other country, you're not being taught to take these tests. Your questions throughout medical school are not based on these tests, whereas here you are. So their scores are much higher. So first of all, to come to that level of a level playing field, your score has to be very high. And you just have to do better practice questions and study hard and, you know, just be consistent with that. So that would be the first thing because a lot of programs do filter you based on your score and a lot of specialties, that's the first thing they filter applicants on is scores. I know a lot of programs, even very competitive programs that filter through scores and have filtered IMGs. And so they're not biased towards just that you're an IMG and American grad, I think the bias comes in with the U.S. Emily scores, firstly. And then after that, I think U.S. clinical experience is important, but it's not to say that it is the number one priority. I think if you have a great U.S. score. And if from whichever country you are in, you have great experience, you have your extracurriculars, you have your research in that specialty that you want to pursue, and you have a great letter. You have great, I mean, letters of recommendation, a great personal statement. I think that you can still get an interview. But I think you really have to, your application has to show why they should choose you over someone that they've worked with. Or to give you a chance along with someone that they've worked with and know they can trust to be their intern next year, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely agree. Wow. So, you know, before we get off the call, we'd like to know any final recommendations that you have for us. Say, you know, when we first get into residency as an IMG, what are some things that were, that you were learning during that first year that, you know, you probably would have known if you had been a U.S. graduate or any tips for first-year survival? I would say get
1: help from your seniors, your peers. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I was probably, (laughs) <laughs> the most annoying, like intern, but I had a very, very good senior, and that senior is now my attending in my hospital. And he graduated last year, now he's an attending, and he's still I still ask him a million questions when I'm on call if I'm <laughs> confused about anything, but I used to tell him when I was interim, I would be like, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna ask you a hundred questions, and it's just because I want to learn and I want to make sure my patients are safe. But not only, should you ask questions you should look it up don't be that person that only asks questions and then puts the orders in and then that's it like if you ask the question you get the answer you should look it up and read about it so that you don't ask that question again and so that you know why the answer is that answer you should be continuously reading and I know it's hard to read but I would try and up-to-date everything as I would see it because, of course, you don't get time to read when you get home. It's easier said than done. So as I would get an admission on stroke or CHF, I would look it up on up-to-date and quickly skim through it. Then later, I would, if I would get time, I would read it more in detail. And I think up-to-date is probably the best resource because... It is evidence-based medicine. It is different than what we probably learned in other hospitals if you're an international grad or even if you did rotations a couple of years ago because the guidelines change continuously. So up to date is probably like the Bible for intern year. And as long as you double check yourself with that all the time, you will not make mistakes. And as long as you take the guidance of your seniors in attending.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I love UpToDate. I use it even as an attending. Yeah. Uh, It's such a great resource. And I think it's important for MJ to remember that after all you've been through, you've built a lot of tenacity that intern year is going to be a breeze, in my opinion, uh, compared to the stress of having to hustle into it. So definitely a strong point. And don't
1: don't be complacent. Don't fall into routine and the monotony. It's very easy for us as human beings to get very comfortable and forget that we work really hard to get where we are. We kind of think that, you know, after a few months, it's like, oh yeah, we're in residency and we kind of, you know, start taking it for granted, but always try and reflect and remember where you started and where you came from, because that is one thing that keeps us grounded and humble. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So you mentioned one thing, and we just like to delineate on the show, really asking specifically, any tips for non-US IMGs? Do you have any expertise with that, any personal experience, or would you consider yourself more of a US IMG? And this is more in relation Um, to visa types and such. Oh, I'm a non-US IMG completely. (laughs) So sorry, what question was that? So, you know, we're asking for tips regarding visa types. Particularly, you know, I get questions of from... I'm a non MG as well, and I get questions about people that are worried about maybe the J-1 versus the H-1B. Oh, yeah. Which is better? Oh, Why God. would you pursue one over the other? Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. So the visa process is the
1: being of my existence at the moment and is as is of everyone's existence, I'm sure. So I would say everyone should try and get the H-1, and a lot of programs are open to that now. I've realized. So if your program offers you the H1, you should 100% try and get that because after you're done with residency, it really does make the transition to a job much easier because currently, like I'm on a J1 and I'm looking for jobs and it's not easy. Trust me. Um, You're very limited to the areas, to the jobs, everything. And then, but I understand a lot of programs don't offer that. And I also understand with the H1, your spouse cannot work. And that is why I had to choose the J1 because my spouse, of course, needed work authorization to work because I didn't want to halt his career. So I opted for that option. And now with the whole waiver process, it is a long process and it's a tedious process. So just know that if you don't have an H1 It's going to be a hard and long road, but it's not impossible. I would just say do your research early. Start your work early. Start in your second year. Don't wait for third year. I started everything in second year, and I'm still figuring things out in my third year. Yeah, that would be my biggest piece of advice is start in your second year or like more than a year before you complete residency. If you're in a four-year program, maybe start in your third year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. It's, you know, when I applied, which it almost feels like it was over seven years ago now, I guess. It was that like H-1B was rare, but if you so, could get it, you needed to do the step three before qualify for an H-1B. And so, you know, I did not have, I needed my step three as an intern. And so I, you know, just waited and went ahead with the J-1 but it did indeed, you know, limit me as to a geographic location that I could work in, yeah. which is why uh, how I ended up working in Kentucky. I actually trained here, so it was a lot easier to just stay here and work. But being yeah. said, you know, it, it, it could go anywhere from three to four years in uh, whatever J-1 designated area that you end up finding exactly. a job in before being- And also a, there's no guarantee. Right. right, right, right. And and I think- but
1: You'll it, get the waiver.
0: Right, exactly. Because it, you know, you have to apply before October. I think October thirtieth, especially if you're going with the yeah. thirty program. There are some states that have separate waiver programs, but these are usually more of the Appalachian states, which maybe yep. don't offer a whole lot for work-life opportunities because you're probably going to be exactly. in the very areas. So, you know, it's certainly something to consider, but I, I strongly recommend the H1B for anyone that's able to complete step three prior to, yeah, so that you have yeah. more options of where you can work. But certainly, by all means, if you choose the J1 route like I did, it's not the end of the mm-hmm. world. You'll still get- Yeah, to it's not work. the end of the world. It's just more tedious when you Yeah, do more
1: homework
0: yes be prepared. Absolutely. absolutely. You have to be very, very well prepared. And immigration attorneys do help as well with facilitating that yeah. process. So. And a lot of employers are good about, you know, getting you sorted out. If you, if you find a good employer, they'll they'll help you figure it yeah. out. But of course, you have to do your research and be your own advocate because there's, there's always exactly. room for, you know, opportunists out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, we're almost at the end of this discussion. And any final words for us? Like, where can we find you on the Internet? Because there's going to be someone that has a very <laughs> similar background to you that maybe... Just as like you, a Pakistan a person from Pakistan that has been or lived in the UAE and then moved schools, like it's so yeah. weird how that happens. But so you know, where can they find you on the internet if they want to connect with you? So I am on Instagram.
1: My handle is Primary Care Doc. I share a little bit of medicine, travel, lifestyle. I share a lot of my stories more than on my feed. I am very open to people messaging me, asking me questions. I am not on Instagram just to, you know, gain followers or for popularity. I'm really, I started this, my whole intention was to help people because when I was in this situation of like, you know, being at IMG, I had no one to turn to or ask questions to. I figured it all out on my own kind of, you know, being in the dark for a long time. So I really want to be able to be kind of there for people that need answers. So I'm always open to answering any questions anyone might have. So they can reach out to me there.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. That's again, another similar area. That's the same reason I'm on Instagram. <laughs> I've thought about Thank quitting you. Instagram so many times. But me when too. I think, about- I think about it
1: all the time. Yes, <laughs> But yes. then I think about the people that message me with like actual concerns and like, feel like they're lost or need motivation I'm like okay if I can even help one person through this it has made my intention like you know it has helped it's just made it all worth it so then I just stick around (laughs) so I think we just can keep going if like we are able to affect one life with what we're doing that's what matters at the end of the day
0: absolutely you are such a blessing to all of us and we appreciate your time no, so thank you. I'm so glad we connected and then we have so much in common. And I hope we get to speak a lot more
1: soon. And um, yeah, thank you for doing what you're doing because you're doing exactly what my intentions are, but I really have not been able to put all this out there, all this information. So I'm really glad you took the time to speak to me and get my story out there as well.
0: Appreciate it. It's my pleasure.